into that. Well, I guess I'm going to grab this and um, pull that up. Thank you, Lamont. We doing well this morning? It's a good morning. You know what? The Bible, I always tell this to the kids when it's awfully cold, us being from Florida and all, our blood still hasn't adjusted. This has been a pretty mild fall, though. Last fall, when we moved here, my wife just looked at me and goes, what have you moved me to? The Arctic? And I looked and I said, oh, honey, it's usually not this bad. And my wife um, is enjoying this fall a lot better and because she's actually had a few days where she can wear flip-flops. So it's been a grateful fall and we are grateful for it. There's so much to be thankful for that God has done in our lives and here at Coastal Community Church. It's an exciting time in our church. I mean, we're in the process of actually getting ready to move down to a new building and who knows what God's going to do. I just want to show up just to see what he's going to do. Amen. And I'm just kind of thankful for that as we're, as we're just kind of in this, this time where we're in this time of preparation. Kind of like when we talked about it weeks ago where Joshua was with the, the, the children of Israel before they were about to cross the Jordan River to go into the promised land. There was this time of preparation. And if you remember from that series in Joshua, the Bible says Joshua had called the people together and he said, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. And so this morning, as we kind of look towards the things that God has for us this morning, I think that this is a time until we move into that new building that God has for us down the road for us to consecrate ourselves. On December the 6th, we have an opportunity for us as a body, a church body to come together for us to consecrate ourselves. It's a time for God to prepare us for what he has in store. Because we don't know what he has in store. We just know we need to be ready. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Now, we're going to be bouncing around a lot because the message this morning is called Practical Powerful Prayer. I was trying to get another P, but I couldn't do it. So this is the PPP sermon. The Practical Powerful Prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he says this, verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When I think about prayer, I think it's important for us to keep this teachings, what the Apostle Paul has taught us here in mind, that he was in prison and things weren't going that well for him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. And precious Father, Teach us your word. God, we humble ourselves before you right now, ready to receive from you, Lord. Knowing, Lord God, that every good and perfect gift is from you, and we are thankful for that. 
So God, as your disciples once said to you, Father, teach us to pray. Lord God, teach us to pray. Help us to consecrate ourselves. Help us to ready ourselves, Lord God. Help us to pray. And help us to be a people of prayer. Knowing, Lord God, that you are sovereign and in control. And Lord God, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Desperate for God or disappointed with God? Your prayer life will reflect the answer. How big is your God or how big is your adversary? Your prayer life will reflect the answer. There was a police officer and he had found a great little hiding spot. And um, as motorists came by, he had his little radar gun and he was, he was seven for seven just pulling over motorists and just raking up the money for the county. And uh, he, was, he was there and he found this perfect spot and he's like, this is the spot that I'm gonna go to every time I need to watch for speeders. And he was there time and time again and it was, it was an exciting day for him because he said, you know, he, was, he had already gotten four people. And then all of a sudden something changed. It was a Saturday morning and all the motorists were driving the speed limit. And he says, no, wait, surely this is, this is the stretch of road that everybody speeds on. I can easily get people on this road. And so he got out of his car and he kind of walked down the road a little bit just to kind of see what was going on. And he saw a little boy holding a sign saying, speed trap ahead. And he looked and he thought that that was kind of funny and he kind of walked back to his car and then he passed the car and he said, wait a second. And he kind of walked on down the hill and he kind of came up to the other side and there was another boy holding up a sign that said tips with a bucket below it. <laughs> the devil's a crafty one, isn't he? And when, Pete, when we go to the Lord sometimes and we want to do things, to ask God to do things on our behalf when we pray, there's some really crafty things sometimes that allows us to not get caught. And, and the devil's there and he wants to destroy what we're trying to do. And a lot of times we find things and we think we've settled in on a prayer or we've settled in on a time where we connect with God and all of a sudden everything happens during that time. Have you ever set aside a time to pray? And what happens? Everything goes wrong during that time. Have you ever set aside a time to, 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 to go into the closet and to really, man, I'm going to seek the Lord during this time? And what happens? You get a call from the school, come pick up your kid. He's sick. He's throwing up everywhere. All these different things are happening. And what happens is, is this. There's this sense that you can't continue on to do this. And you look and you go, man, this is just so difficult. I, I, mean, I, it's, I just don't know if it's worth it. So you have an adversary that is working against you. And if you're taking notes, what I want to do is I want to kind of go through and talk about what it is to have practical, powerful prayer. And the first thing you need to understand is that you need to know your powerful adversary when it comes to prayer. You have an adversary that is working against you. 
You are trying to do the job of a Christian. You are trying to do what God has called you to do where he says pray without ceasing or pray without stopping. And all of a sudden, he's sitting things up to stop you from doing what you're trying to do or what God wants you to do. Now, to understand this is you need to know that God, that Satan is a defeated foe. He has conquered through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hung on the cross, died on the cross for our sins, three days later rose from the dead, and therefore Satan is a defeated foe. But he's still a foe. And you need to understand your adversaries when it comes to prayer. The first one is this, is yourself. Look in the mirror. Enemy number one, is that in the mirror? My discipline, if my passion and discipline could align, I mean, I have all the great intentions and all the passion to pray sometimes, but I don't have the discipline to get my butt out of bed sometimes to pray. There's this sense within me that I want to pray because I know prayer changes things. I know that God moves. But yet, I can't find it within myself. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, There's none righteous, no, not one. Keep going on, it says, There's none that seek after God. So the fact that I want to seek after God knows that it's something supernatural that God is doing in my life to draw me to himself. That God is externally moving me to pray. But I find that I get myself in the way. Because a lot of times then when I pray, I start praying and I start thinking about every single thing that's going on. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Martin Luther said this. He said, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. Sometimes it's this sense of not the idea of the words that I'm saying, because sometimes I can get lost in my own words. It's this idea of this attitude and this position in which I get before the Lord and I ask the Lord to interact with me. To have that intercessory, intercession type prayer. But I am my own worst enemy. You don't have to go far to find your enemy. Now, the Apostle Paul says, I die to myself. I have to beat my flesh into submission. It's not physically hurting yourself, but it's this idea that I have to discipline myself. And when it comes to prayer, it's no different The second enemy is the devil, the devil. Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. John Bunyan said that. He was an author who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He understood that prayer is this powerful weapon that God has given us, this powerful tool. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, it says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, the only person that wants us to pray is God. If you think you want to pray, 
within yourself, everything is going to come against that. And why does God want us to pray? Because it's the power, it's the connection, it's the point that we get the peace that passes all understanding. It's that point where God meets with us as we prepare for what God has for us. Third thing is this is the world. The third enemy is the world. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4 says, You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former, friend, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. The world does not want you to pray. The world does not. Why? Because prayer leads to transformation. It's Christ himself that uses prayer to change us, to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't want us to do it because the world wants us to go party and completely numb ourselves from the things of God. And so the idea is, is to sit in silence in your car to pray is a greater discipline than turning on the radio and listening and filling your mind with noise all day. I had a friend, from the time that he woke up until the time he went to bed, he would surround himself with noise. The radio would come on in the morning. He would get ready. The radio would be going when he was in the shower. The radio would be going when he got into the car. The radio was going as he was driving to work. When he got to work, he turned on the radio. He listened to the radio. When he came home, he turned on the television. He was completely surrounded by external noise. There was no quiet in his soul and in his life. I challenged him. to. He said, man, I can't grow spiritually. I don't know what's wrong. And my response was, was this. I said, well, I got a challenge for you. He's like, okay, what? Tell me. I'll do anything. Stop listening to the radio and watching TV for two weeks. You know what he said to me? He said he went through withdrawals. He felt like he was a drug addict. He was like, ah, ah, because he wanted to turn on the radio. Whether it was talk radio or music or television or sports or whatever, there was so much noise. And the world just wants to fill you with noise. Things that don't matter. Now, we're not to isolate ourselves from the world. We're not supposed to hate the world in, that, in the sense of the people that God wants to save. But it's this idea that God wants us to pray. To pray for those that are in the world that don't know Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, he was an old preacher in England, at least let them leap over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. It's this idea that God has called us to pray for the people that don't know Christ. So when you think about the adversaries, there's yourself, there's the devil, there's the world. All of them are working counter to what God wants you to do, and that is to pray. And so the second thing you need to see is that know what the Christ teaches about powerful prayer. What did Christ gave three stories about prayer? 
And all three of these stories had something in common. They were all centered on God. I know that's, that's, that's just mind-blowing. <laughs> that prayer is centered on God. It's not centered on yourself. See, a lot of times we look at prayer as this idea of this ATM. We have an ATM God. Where I have a need, I go up to the ATM, I put in my prayer, I pull it out, I hit this, this sep- these special words to God, and then out comes what I need. And then I stick it in my pocket and I walk away and they leave that ATM there or that God there for me to go do what I want to do until I need him again. And then I go back to him and then I give that prayer again and I say the different code this time or maybe the same code, waiting and expecting God to give me something. That's not how God works and that's not what Christ said prayer was. Three stories, and I, wanna, I just want to give them to you, and I want to share out a couple verses. The first one, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 11. He gives three stories on prayer. Now, he, he talks about prayer a lot. Over 118 times the word prayer is mentioned in the Gospels. But there's this sense that Christ is talking to his disciples, trying to teach them how to pray. He's, he's teaching them about prayer because the disciples are constantly watching Jesus disappear for a while to go pray and to connect with the Father. So what is Christ teaching about prayer? Well, it's all centered on God. That's the thing that all three of these stories had in common. But the first story that he kind of ter- tells us here in Luke is this, the, sh- the story of the persistent friend. Jesus had been praying, this is Luke 11, 1, once when Jesus had been out praying, one of his disciples came to him and he finished and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus gives the Lord's prayer. Now, Luke's account is a little different than Matthew's account. But basically, it's the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Did you guys go to church? Yes, yes. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now Luke's account's a little different because he kind of stops with, and don't let us yield to temptation. And then in verse five, he gives a story and he's teaching them more about prayer. He uses this illustration. And I love Jesus' illustrations because they're all centered on God. But he said this, suppose if you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, you would say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. He would call out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and we are all in bed. I can't help you at this time. But I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up annoyed. And I just put that part in. That's not in the Bible. And give you what you want so his reputation won't be damaged. Now, what was the point of this story? Powerful prayer comes from your complete dependence on God's provision. See, the provision is, the whole point of this story is, who are you going to to get what you need? Who are you praying to? 
See, Jesus is communicating this story, and he says this, I tell you, keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. Jesus tells this story to communicate that the complete dependence of the friend coming to this guy knocking on the door was this, I have nothing, you have what I need, and I have, and I have no other place to go, so I'm going to keep knocking until you provide this that I do not have. Do you see the utter dependency and desperation of this man, and Jesus is communicating this story to his disciples as a, as a segue from the Lord's prayer. How do we come to God? How do we come to God practically? Do we come in with a complete dependence on God and his provision? Second story, turn over to Luke chapter 18. He gives two stories here in Luke chapter 18. The first story is the story of the persistent widow or the widow and the judge. And that's in verses 1 through 8, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And there was a judge in a certain city. This is verse 2. Who was a godless man with a great contempt for everyone. I want to make so many comments, but I'm not. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear that neither God nor man, he said to himself, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see, what she, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. See, the second thing that Jesus teaches us here about the widow and the judge in this story is this, that powerful prayer comes when you persist for God to bring justice. Has somebody hurt you or wronged you? See, Romans tells us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's God who's the judge. It's God who's the one who brings justice. It's not us. In fact, I used to read this story wrong. Every time I read this story, I was thinking, man, if I just ask for what I want over and over and over again, God's going to have to give it to me. And the reality is, is I missed out on the fact that, no, the pursuit of this woman was for justice. The pursuit for this woman was not stuff, but justice. She was going to the judge, and then the Lord says this, and Jesus says this, learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end, so you don't think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Now, how does this play out practically? Well, practically is this. I was reading, uh, if you've ever read Richard Wormbrand, he's one of my heroes of the faith. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. And he said he was in the, the communist church in Romania and he was constantly being persecuted and thrown in prison and constantly being beaten for his faith as he shared Christ with people and they would beat on him. And he, would, he said that he and the church was constantly crying out and praying for justice, justice, justice. 
And you know what happened? Eventually, God, we're guaranteed justice. Now, how long did that take? It took about 60 years. He was a young man when it began, and the communist, the Iron Curtain didn't fall, and justice didn't come for about 60 years of his life. But God brought justice. Powerful prayer comes when you persist. See, I think sometimes we pray, God doesn't give us what we want when we want it. See, because we live in this instantaneous microwave society. 30 seconds sometimes is too long for me. I put my food in and I'm really hungry and I want it now. And I, I mean, I'm ready for the Jetsons. Push the button and out comes the food. I'm waiting for the microwave and I'm dying here. It's two minutes, 30 seconds. Ah! And then I take it out and I'm disappointed because it's still cold. Oh, that's all right, never mind. My wife looks at me and goes, how do you live with yourself? <laughs> and I eat it cold because I'm hungry. So I'm impatient. We go through the McDonald's drive-thru or we go through the drive-thru. We wait for four and a half minutes. Man, it's a lifetime. We say things like, I could have given birth in this amount of time. I mean, we come up with all of these things. Why? Because we're impatient people. But powerful prayer comes when you persist for God to bring justice. Third story that Jesus tells here in Luke chapter 18 is the story of the Pharisee and the publican or the tax collector. It's in Luke 18, 9 through 14. And powerful prayer comes in your humility and submission to God. Now, this is, your, this is when you position yourself properly. I'm not going to read the story, but I'm just going to... I'm going to read part of it. It says, two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the religious leader of the day. The other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Now, we might not say that with our words sometimes, but sometimes in our heart, we sure hold to that. Especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. What did Jesus say? I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. See, powerful prayer comes in your humility and submission to God. It's not thinking we have anything to offer, but it's looking to the Lord. It's this idea that, see, the Pharisee had a high view of himself and a very low view of God. Have you ever been disappointed with God where you've prayed for something and prayed for something and prayed for something and God didn't do it? And all of a sudden, you just kind of get impatient with God and you get to the point where you're like, man, God, I'm just, I just don't know if I can pray anymore. I'll give you time and time again. I had a, one of my really, really good friends. He walked away from the faith because his parents were getting a divorce. And he said, I prayed and fasted every day for my parents that they would stay together and they didn't do it. I was in high school. It shook me. My parents still got a divorce. 
had another friend of mine, he prayed. He said, I prayed every day that God would take away. He had, he had a, his struggle was with same-sex attraction. And every day he prayed, God, take this away. I have these desires for these, for these other men. And, and, I, and, I, and, it's, and I, God, I'm begging you to take these away. And God didn't take them away. And so he walked away from the faith. He said, obviously, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care or God doesn't hear me. And he walked away. Maybe you prayed for something that God would heal somebody or do something and he didn't do it. And you think, man, either God, you're not powerful enough to do it or you just don't care. And I'm here to tell you that we deserve nothing. Christ died on the cross for our sins while we were still sinners. Christ died for us rose again from the grave. He offered and extended his life for us. And when we receive him by faith, our lives are totally changed. But that doesn't mean they're totally changed from pain and suffering and sin of this world. And so therefore, when we pray sometimes, sometimes sin is great. And it is powerful. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you cannot lose the attitude that God is big enough to be able to solve it and he's great enough to be able to fix it. But sometimes he's waiting for the process to take place in our life. What do you mean? What do you mean, Pastor Andrew? And this is what I mean. If you take number three, know what powerful prayer means. It means this, intimacy with God. That's powerful prayer. It's intimacy with God. And I want to just go through this quickly because you need to understand all of these stories that Jesus was teaching and all of these things that were happening. And most of us have given up on prayer. And, and, and we're not going to say it, but, we're, but, but we really do functionally live it where we pray for our food and we pray for little things. But the reality is we've really given up on God and his power. And to consecrate ourselves is to say, God, I want you to do something that, that I, don't even, I don't even know what I'm praying for, but I'm just asking you to do something, and you know what? Would you allow me to see it and be a part of it? And so what, what, know what powerful prayer means. It means this. It's intimacy with God. It's not free, it's not free stuff. And it's not pain-free living. And it's not struggle-free living. The goal of prayer is different. It's not getting what I want when I want it. The goal of prayer has to be intimacy with God. And you're saying, well, why, man? What in the world? Okay, let let me go through this. Powerful prayer means intimacy with God. The first thing is this. God is enough, regardless of the outcome. That's the goal of prayer, that God would be enough. See, David understood this in Psalm 73. I love this Psalm, 73 verses 25 and 26. He said this, who am I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God has to be enough. 
And if he's not enough, then examine yourself. Do you have a relationship with this God? See, I remember it points in my life where I was praying to get something and I was disappointed because God didn't give me what he wanted, what I wanted and what I was desiring and I wanted to stop praying and I wanted to kind of be like, man, God, why did you have me pray for this? And God kind of was like, God's enough, I'm enough. And my response was this, God, I don't think you're enough for me then. But I want you to be. See, God is enough regardless of the outcome. This is hard. This is hard in our everyday life. Because we really want a God who gives us lots of stuff, makes living pain-free, and makes living struggle-free. That's why we pray after all. But maybe God just wants to give us God instead. Maybe God just wants to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Second thing is this, God's best answer is, are you ready for this one? God himself. Sometimes the best answer to prayer is God. God, I want this. God says, nope, I'm going to give you me. God, I want this. Nope, I'm going to give you me. Man, God, why? Exodus 33, 19. You see, Moses interacting with God, and the Lord replies, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, the Lord, to you. I will show kindness to anyone I choose, and I will show mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. He's talking to Moses, and here's Moses, just a godly, godly man, and we're like, man, if we could ever attain to be Moses. And God's like, like you know, I'm going to show goodness to who I, I'm going to show kindness to who I want to show kindness to. At the end of the day, sometimes God's best answer is God himself. It's not the answer we want, but it's the best answer for us. Because here's the deal. What's heaven all about? Is heaven all about getting the stuff that we want and the feelings that we want? Or is heaven just about God? And prayer is this gateway for us to be able to pray to God and connect with God. Two more things. God sees us and is kind to us. Powerful prayer means that God sees us and is kind to us. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. Psalm 103, that he's mindful of us and he remembers that we are dust. He knows who we are. He knows our faults. And he's not there trying to take it from us or to pound us into the ground. He's looking at us. He sees us and he's kind to us. And God always answers prayer. Wait a second. Wait a second, Pastor. That's not right. God doesn't always answer prayer. Yes, he does. Second Corinthians chapter 12, 9. Each time, he says, the apostle Paul says, I went to the Lord three times for him to heal me. Three times I was sick. Same illness. Three times I asked God to heal me. And each time he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
So what changed? Did Paul's illness change? No, Paul's attitude changed. He said, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 says that God wounds us to heal us. Try explaining that one. No, think about it this way. Most of us think he wounds us like a sword. Think about a surgeon who takes the scalpel and he cuts out the growth mass in our life. Is it painful? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. But if he doesn't remove it, then that's going to kill us. And God, the great God of this universe, looks and sees and he wounds us sometimes. In the midst of our prayer, we're praying for God to take the pain away. And God causes it sometimes to get worse. And we're like, God, what in the world? Why did you answer me? And he wounds us so that he can heal us. Because his grace is sufficient. How does God always answer prayer? He answers prayer with this, grace. Yes, here's what you ask. I'm giving you grace. You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you anyway. No, I'm not going to give that to you. Here's my grace. Or wait. Nope. Here's my grace. While you wait, I'm giving you grace. And the apostle Paul understood this. He said, what did Jesus say? My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, powerful prayer will conquer your adversaries. It will center your life and will draw you closer to God than anything else. And the point is, is not that there's any special words to pray or there's something unique about prayer that we have to do. No, the point is we just need to pray to God and fumble through it and say, God, my goal in this prayer is to be closer to you. You'll never be disappointed when you pray then. Now, are we supposed to pray for the things that we, that, we, that we need? Absolutely. But the reality is at the end, while we pray, God administers his grace to us. I'll never forget my nephew who had passed away in the ER. He was one month old. I remember it like it was yesterday and my brother and his wife hadn't gotten there yet and they were crying at the door and I walked in and his lifeless body was there and I remember walking in, I remember putting my hand on his lifeless body and I remember saying, God, even now you can bring him back to life. Bring him back to life now. Show everybody how awesome and powerful you are. Do this, God, I'm asking you to do this. And guess what happened? Nothing. And I thought to myself, man, God, you really missed out on that opportunity. And I'm just, listen, I'm just really being honest here. Man, God, if you would have done that, all these doctors would have been, wow. And my brother and his wife would have been, wow. And everyone would have been, wow. But now, all these years later, I see the powerful God working and changing and transforming, not just my life, not just my brother and his, my sister-in-law's life, 
but changing so many people through his life of one month. That his grace really is sufficient. That his goal in our life is to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, and the goal of prayer is God. It's not to get what we want, but it's God. And when we pray and we come before him, yes, we can ask for these things, but the reality is, what are you seeking? Are you seeking God? Are you seeking stuff? And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of this prayer. December 6th, you're not going to want to miss it. December 6th, you're not going to want to miss prayer. It's a night of prayer. It's a time for us to come together. It's going to be one hour long, and I promise it's for all, the whole family. It's going to be a time for us to interact and pray. It's where God meets with us, and we pray and meet with God. It's a time for us as a church to come together to continually consecrate ourselves before the Lord so that God would be the greatest treasure in our life, not stuff, not answers, but God and for us to be changed and transformed by God. But here's the deal. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of this makes sense. If you've never received Jesus Christ, most of you would go, man, this doesn't make any sense. Listen, Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave, and you must receive him by faith for this to make sense. And if you've never received him, then prayer doesn't mean a lot. The prayer that you need to pray needs to be, God, save me. Forgive me of my sins and save me. And then you'll experience that Christ really is the greatest treasure in our lives. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray, Lord God, for this congregation, Lord God. I pray for Coastal Community Church. I pray, Lord God, that we would be men and women of prayer. We would not talk about prayer, Lord God, spend 45 minutes discussing about prayer, Lord God, and requests, Lord God, but we would take the time and we would pray. Teach us to pray, Lord God. Discipline our lives to pray, Lord God. Help us to be men and women of prayer, Lord God. Persistent, powerful prayer, Lord. Knowing, Lord God, that you are the goal of prayer, that you are what we need. We love you and thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've never received Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to talk to some people in the purple shirts. They'll be up here after the service that would love to pray for you. It's now the time for us to take our tithes and offerings. The Bible says freely you have received, now freely give. It's a time for us as worship to give back to the Lord. God's done so much. And we get to give back to the Lord all that he has given to us. And we do that monetarily here at Coastal Community Church. And so this morning, as you have been given much and you dem demonstrate your gratitude by what you give your money to. And so we get to give our money to the Lord because he has done so much for us. We get to give back to him. So let's pray over the offering as we uh, receive the offering. Father, thank you for the fact that you have given us so much. And Lord, we get to give back to you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for this gift 
of life that you've given to us, this opportunity to give us money, Lord God, that you have, you have done all of that, Lord God. And so now as a, as a portion, we give back to you what is already yours, Lord. Thank you for the men and women here, Lord God. Change us and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen.